0: Chapter 2 of A Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the Chinese Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the Chinese Seas by Fanny Lovio. Translated by Amelia Ann Blandford Edwards. Chapter 2 The Bay of San Francisco, Deserted ships, The Mission Dolores, Manners of the Chinese Emigrants, The Black Race, The Loungers of Jackson Street, Gaming Houses, The Black Band, The Committee of Vigilance, On Hanging. On the 21st of November, 1852, we came in sight of the little islands called the Farallones, which lie at the mouth of the Bay of San Francisco and of Benetta point which towards the left juts out to a considerable distance into the sea at this spot a pilot came on board to conduct our schooner through the narrow straits which hereabouts are scarcely more than half a mile across the steep rocks and sandy hills all overgrown with brambles which line the shore on every side next came into sight and immediately afterwards A magnificent spectacle was presented to our view. We came all at once upon a fleet met together from every nation under heaven, as if to attest the importance of this modern city. Turning from the contemplation of these crowded masts and parti colored flags, I beheld with surprise the scene of desolation presented by the sandy shores on the other side of the bay. There, all crowded together and falling to decay, lay the ruins of another fleet, scarcely less numerous than the first. Their faded flags hung in tatters from the broken masts, their decks had given way, and the moss was already growing in the interstices of the boards. They had long since been abandoned by their crews, all of whom, once landed, had fled away to the gold regions, and left their good ships to ruin and decay. Melancholy examples of the greed of gain. Before the discovery of the gold mines, San Francisco was a harbor, frequented by whalers, who put in there to refit and take in provisions. The dealings between the Indians and the European sailors were at that time limited to exchanges of skins. About half a century ago, a party of Spanish missionaries established themselves at some little distance from the coast and built a small church called the Mission Dolores, which exists to the present day. When these Californian solitudes were overrun by Americans and Europeans in search of gold, that lonely spot, whither religious faith alone had penetrated, became one of the busiest haunts of San Francisco. A fine road was opened, buildings of all kinds sprang up around the modest chapel, and the road of the Mission Dolores has now become one of the gayest promenades of the city. At the time of my arrival, November 1852, San Francisco presented a sufficiently curious aspect, with its sandy streets, its planked footways, and its houses built of wood, iron, and brick. A marvelous activity prevailed in all parts of the city, and I was particularly struck with the coming and going of this polyglot population composed of men and women of all races complexions and national costumes i was jostled every moment by the natives of eastern and western america of tahiti of the sandwich isles and of every part of the european continent emigration had been going on very extensively for the three or four years preceding my arrival and the population of san francisco had consequently augmented to a total of something like sixty thousand souls But this city changes its aspect from day to day stone buildings were even then springing up in every direction montgomery street one of its handsomest thoroughfares was paved and bordered with superb buildings shops warehouses cafes and magnificent hotels enlivened the street towards evening with thousands of lamps and seeing the crowds that issue at night from the metropolitan theater one can with difficulty believe that only six years before the indians lasso in hand scoured this very spot in pursuit of the wild horse and the buffalo san francisco had by this time become somewhat less expensive than formerly it was possible to hire a furnished room for forty piastres per month the value of a piastre being about four and tuppence this was considerably cheaper than the rents of many previous years when shops were let at one hundred two hundred and sometimes six hundred piastres per month meat and game were also much more reasonable mutton was sold at one piastre per pound and veal at half a piastre milk having at first cost one piastre the bottle had fallen to two shillings one shilling and finally sixpence vegetables on account of their scarcity were sold at enormous prices a pound of potatoes was not purchasable At less than one shilling, and eggs cost from three to six piastres the dozen. The washing of a dozen articles of linen cost five piastres, a bottle of champagne, five piastres, and the cleaning of a pair of boots, two shillings. On the other hand, salmon was plentiful and sold in all the markets at one piastre per pound. In the early days of San Francisco, one piastre would scarcely pay for the most simple repast without wine a great part of this population came originally from china and if i first name these emigrants it is because their colony established in the midst of foreigners presents many curious features their unsocial habits are already well known although their industrial inclinations drew them hither to this young and fertile country they nevertheless brought with them all the sullen and solitary instincts of their race thus to avoid mingling with the europeans They congregated in a special quarter of the city. Sacramento Street, which is the center of their colony, presents all the characteristics of a street in Canton, or any other Chinese city. Their commerce is exclusively confined to the products of their own country, and, in DuPont Street, they have gaming tables, always ready to tempt such of their countrymen as may be disposed to risk their hard-won gold. An equally curious population may be found in another part of san francisco i allude to the blacks who like the chinese are settled altogether as one great family they inhabit one entire side of kearney street but the motives which have drawn them together arise from quite a different source the americans hate the negroes and their antipathy is neither unknown nor dissembled the contempt with which they are always treated has naturally enough caused these latter to unite together in a quarter where they will neither trouble nor be troubled by their oppressors. The reciprocal hate of these two races, the one so timid and the other so arrogant, has induced between them a suspension of every social relation. The blacks are excluded from all public places frequented by their tyrants. They dare not show themselves at the cafés, the restaurants, or the theatres, and, Having no other resource than dress, they parade the streets with cravats of the most dazzling colors, fingers loaded with rings, and dresses, the delicate tints and textures of which contrast ridiculously with the ebon hue of the wearers. You chance now and then to meet a negro who is doing his best to imitate the manners of a gentleman, but he is sure to be absorbed in the perfection of his boots and gloves and is altogether pervaded with an uneasy consciousness of his own dandyism. All the efforts of Mrs. Beecher Stowe have not yet availed to elevate the social position of the negro in the United States. The generous sympathy which this lady has manifested towards the colored population appears simply ridiculous in the eyes of her own countrymen. And even in this free land, where the social rights of man have been at least conceded to them, The inferiority of their position is still so painfully apparent that, after all, they can scarcely be said to have gained more than the mere privilege of making money and being their own masters. The rest of the population consists chiefly of Americans, French, English, Germans, Dutch, Mexicans, Chileans, etc., etc. Jackson Street is one of the most curious in San Francisco. On either side, the primitive wooden huts of the first settlers are still standing and almost every dwelling is an eating-house or bar as it is here generally called after dark when the gas is lighted these establishments present a most extraordinary coup d'oeil the diggers after a lucky day's labour meet here for recreation and this assemblage gathered together from all parts of the world makes up the strangest picture imaginable the confusion of tongues and the variety of costume baffle description. Negresses, Mexicans, Peruvians, Chileans, and Chinese women decked out in furbelows and flounces are seen hand in hand and side by side with men who drink and dance and stamp and shout for joy to the sound of infernal music. Should you pause for a few moments before the door of one of these haunts, you are sure to witness some frightful quarrel begun apparently in sport, this quarrel is but the lightning which precedes the thunder the melee soon becomes general and you had best escape while yet you may for the quarter will be in a commotion for the rest of the evening blood is sure to flow and a formidable fight in which many lives are sacrificed but too frequently follows still more curious is it to observe these people in the gaming-houses there by the light of glittering chandeliers The contrast between these white, black, and bronzed faces becomes more startling than ever, crowded as they are around tables heaped with gold, silver, and ingots. When these gaming-houses were first started and the gold fever was at its height, many a serious fracas took place in the rooms, and, more than once, the winners found themselves paid with a pistol-shot. It was then proposed to abolish the gaming-houses altogether. but as the government exacted enormous rents for the hire of these establishments they were eventually suffered to remain the games are various the mexicans play chiefly at monte the french at roulette vingt et un trente et quarante and lansquenet and the americans at faro i shall never forget the countenances of those professional gamblers who form as it were an essential part of these establishments they are ready to play for others as well as for themselves, and there are few tables without three or four of these auxiliaries. Unruffled and businesslike, they play on perpetually, and take no notice of whatever may be going forward. Playing for themselves, they win, on the average, from four to five dollars per diem. Playing for others, they contrive to gain from eight to twelve. The windfall-gatherers are also deserving of mention. They are mostly Americans, who make it their business to pounce upon Such stray coins as are not immediately claimed by the winners. Watchful of every venture, they follow each turn of the cards, and, if a dollar be for one instant forgotten or left upon the table, an eager hand clutches and bears it off before the unsuspecting player has time even to recognize the thief. The proprietors of the gaming houses favor these predatory individuals, and even help to distract the attention of the novice, whom they have selected for their victim. This system of robbery is a sore trial to inexperienced players, and the consequences are often serious. The player who finds himself defrauded scruples not to shoot the thief as if he were a dog. All these houses are provided with good orchestras, and the music sounds well to the chinking of the gold. There is yet another and a more formidable class infesting these places. It is known by the name of the Black Band, and consists of a party of American swindlers well dressed skilful and audacious they follow their daring craft with utter impunity and are the terror of the population if they go into a gaming-house it is with no idea of wasting their time on the chances of the cards they find it more profitable and convenient simply to sweep off all the gold from the tables after which they coolly walk away and no one dares to stop them these frauds are as it were consecrated by time and tradition the police and the local government have as yet no power to put a stop to them, and, though the scandalous misdemeanours committed by the members of the black band would fill a volume, they are yet suffered to tyrannise over the entire community. Every day during my stay some merchant's house was plundered, and did the loser dare to lodge a complaint against the robbers, they not only returned to the charge, but destroyed everything of value that came in their way. Nor was this all. They dined, drank, and helped themselves at all places of public resort, with their customary audacity, and, although their excesses had greatly diminished since the first peopling of the colony, there was not yet established, in 1852, any legal force sufficiently powerful to operate against them. Arrived at San Francisco, we established ourselves in Montgomery Street, and hired a little furnished apartment at a rent of 300 francs per month considering that the walls were never dry and that our bed was always soaked in rainy weather we may be said to have paid somewhat dearly for our accommodation we consoled ourselves however with the panorama which lay extended before our windows and agreed that so glorious a prospect was cheap at any price for it comprehended not only the greater part of the city and the surrounding mountains but included a bird's-eye view of the room in which the committee of vigilance had established its tribunal this room was situated over a baker's shop close under our windows and a piece of cord attached to a pulley hung out from the first story as an emblem of that simple and summary process known by the name of lynch law not many days after our arrival an execution took place i chanced to awake very early that morning and on opening my window saw two men busily occupied in fixing a new and unusually long cord to the pulley before mentioned. Already distant cries and the trampling of many feet announced something unusual, and in another moment the street was filled by an eager and angry crowd. I foresaw the terrible scene which was about to take place, and, seized by an overwhelming terror, dragged my sister from the room and left the house by a back door. In another quarter of an hour we were in the country, where we remained and spent the day with some friends i afterwards ascertained that the criminal was a spanish assassin arriving at the scaffold with a cigar in his mouth he calmly addressed the crowd and smoked till the very moment when the fatal noose was tied the story that i had heard and the sight that i had seen left so painful an impression on my mind that i was soon weary of my lodging in montgomery street and hastened to seek another this terrible lynch law is so called After an unfortunate man of that name who became its first victim. The fatal and frequent errors which must necessarily ensue from this illegal system may easily be conceived. End of Chapter Two. Recording by Karen.